Well, good morning, everybody. How are you today? I hope you're doing well. Yeah, it's a great day. We're going to have a, a wonderful message today. I hope it speaks to your heart. Good to have you here. How many of you are ready for the Super Bowl tonight? Uh, it's kind of just an event, isn't it? Even though the Packers are gone, it's still just kind of an event. And I have to tell you, I am all in for the Chiefs. So if you're not all in for the Chiefs, let me know that ahead of time. I probably won't talk to you too much after church. Uh, it's not that I don't like you, but I want to keep a good vibe, you know. Uh, as I'm going into the Super Bowl here, I, I just uh, have really grown to enjoy them other than the Packers. And, and so we're going to be concluding a message this week called Invisible Matters. It's been a series where we've been looking at areas of our lives where, you know, it really goes under the radar. It's invisible to other people, but they're areas of life that really, truly do matter. And in the life of the Christ follower, if we get these things right, people may never know or understand why our life is what it is. But if we don't get it right, eventually these matters won't be invisible anymore and they'll start showing themselves in a variety of areas or ways of brokenness. And so today we're going to talk about self-leadership. And you say, Pastor Dan, self-leadership is not very spiritual. Can I just tell you that on the contrary, I believe that self-leadership is one of the great keys to a successful life, both our Christian life, our walk with God, following Christ, and also in our lives as individuals. Because it's in learning to be a self-leader that you learn to leverage everything that God has given you in your gifts and abilities. Everything that God designed for you when you were born, even before you were born, God knew the things that he would put into you, that he would redeem when you came to Christ. And by being and understanding self-leadership, you'll be able to maximize and leverage, as I said, all of those things together and become what God designed you to be. So today, our subject is self-leadership. And in its simplest form, self-leadership or leadership is really about influence. Have you ever seen somebody who thinks they're a leader that nobody's following, right? That's not leadership. Leadership is when you are influencing someone else. And it doesn't have to be a lot of people. It may only be a few people. In fact, I would say that everybody is leading someone. Parents are leading kids. Siblings are leading other siblings. Have you ever had one child, those of you that have kids, that was doing something you didn't really want the other ones to be doing or follow, but what were they doing? They were following right after the other one. And that can be true on the positive side as well. Maybe they idolized or really appreciated an older brother or a sister, and so they were doing very similar things just naturally because that older sibling was leading them. Teachers leading students, students leading other students, people in church leading other people in church. And so everybody is leading someone, wives leading husbands, husbands leading wives. 
All of these things happen in our lives. And this idea of self-leadership and leading others. We're all actually leading people in two categories. We're all leading ourselves and someone else. And the most difficult one in the group to lead is me. The most difficult person in your life to lead is you. Parents, have you ever found yourself telling your kid not to do something that you do? God forbid, where did you learn that word? And your wife says, he heard you say it. Right? Come on. The hardest one to lead is ourself, but we also do lead others. But it's way easier for me to tell you what you should do and try and lead you than it is for me to manage myself, to lead myself in the things that God desires for me. In my 40s, for some reason, I got into the best shape of my life. Now, the good thing was, is that I was in good shape in my 40s. The bad thing is that the 40s are way behind me. But anyway, in my 40s, I got in the best shape of my life. For seven years, at 5 or 5.30, I would start workouts. We would do everything from P90X multiple times in a row to other workouts. And, and I watched everything that I put in my mouth. And I watch everything I put in my mouth now, but I watch it differently than in these seven years, if you know what I'm saying. And, and so I really got fit. And my wife would comment and she'd say, holy cow, you look different, and you, you know, uh, I took her to a dance class, and, and uh, we're getting dance lessons, and this lady, uh, like, I don't know what that type of ballroom dancing, and, and the lady says, wow, you must work out, and I'm like, oh, what makes you think that, you know, and I'm being all uh, prideful and all this, and, and um, so toward the end of that period of time, I was not as committed to my workouts and certainly not to my diet. But nobody knew it because my body hadn't started to change yet. So I would be running errands in the morning for church and I would stop at, at uh, I haven't been since I lived here, Dairy Queen. I would stop at Dairy Queen and get a medium Snickers Blizzard extra Snickers, right? And then maybe later in the evening, I would say to my wife, hey, I'll be back in a little while. She knew where I was going, back for another blizzard. And then one day I made the mistake of taking her with me. And she said, do you mean every time you leave the house, it costs $5.25 for you to get that blizzard? I said, yeah, sometimes twice a day. It's pretty awesome. Well... <laughs> During that period of time where I was not paying attention to my diet, but I looked like I was because it, it physically had not caught up with me yet, people would still talk to me about working out. They'd still talk to me about nutrition and what they should be eating. And you know what? I always had an answer even though I was no longer doing it. I can always tell you what to do. But even when I had stopped, because the most difficult person to lead is ourselves. And how often do we find that in marriage? That's a great place for it to show up. 
How many of you have ever wanted your spouse to change something? Raise your hand, right? I, I mean, be honest. You bunch of liars. You're afraid to raise your hand, and you're, you're afraid to let them know because you still haven't told them probably. But no, we, we want our mate to change something. And we say, oh, that's wrong in you. But have you ever considered that maybe the way you're going about it is wrong? Or maybe you have two times as many things that need to change in your life, but you fixate on what someone else needs to change. Gary Smalley, the great teacher about family, and, and he's an author, written many books on the subject, and he tells the story in, in a book he wrote a number of years ago, and it's, it's really good to me, I keep it in my mind. And he tells the story of how they were having company coming to their house that evening. And his wife sent him out to the store for something. And, and while he was gone, for some reason, she had to move their RV. I don't know if, if she forgot another item and didn't tell him. And she had to run to the store quickly as well. But anyway, she's driving this big camper. Uh, and she's backing it back into the driveway and she didn't drive it very often, so she wasn't very good at it. And she took off the overhang of the house as she's going down. She just smashes it off, and it lands in the driveway. And Gary and his son Greg pull up in, in the driveway, and he's like, what am I going to do? And he said it out loud. And his son Greg said, Dad, I think this would be a good time for you to practice some of the stuff that you travel around the country and teach. <laughs> True story. It's always easier to tell someone else and to lead someone else than it is to lead ourselves. But the ability to lead oneself is one of the most important invisible matters in life. It, in the big scheme, it does not matter what God has gifted you with and redeemed when you came to Christ if you are unwilling to manage it correctly and leverage it to get the most out of what God has given you. And so it's so important, not only for our lives as individuals, but also for our lives as Christ followers to get the most out of everything God has given us, to understand who and what we are, to understand where he's given us strengths, weaknesses, to really know and be self-aware. Do you know that studies show that 80 to 90% of people, when polled, say that they believe they're self-aware? Only 10 to 20% of people, when polled, would say they're not self-aware. But when the poll continues, it points out the reality that only 10 to 20% of people are actually self-aware and 80 to 90% of people are not self-aware. They do not understand themselves. They do not understand how they come across they don't understand what their gifts are. I had someone say to me not long ago, an adult friend of mine say, I'm still looking for my purpose. I'm still looking for the reason God created me. And I can share with them that the first reason is God just created you to bring glory to his name. 
but they're looking for an additional thing like, how did he wire me to bring glory and honor to his name? So if we have 100 people in this room this morning, 80% of us conservatively are not self-aware. Oh, you're aware of the person next to you, but you're, 80% of us are not aware of ourselves. And can I say this would be a terrible time to nudge your husband or your wife. <laughs> 80% of us in this room are not self-aware. So it's crucial to ongoing development. Let me say this. No one will invest in your life and managing and developing your life more than you will. No one can push you to it because unwanted input is usually not heated, right? So if you come to me and you say, Pastor Dan, I've got this great thing for you that if you would start to do it, your life would change. Well, if I'm not looking to improve my life and I'm not seeking input, chances are I'm not going to put it into action. No one will invest in your your development more than you will. And so what has God given you? You remember the Bible says that to whom much is given, much is expected. So God has given you things so that you will be able to work and do things for the kingdom of God, bring glory and honor to his name. And what's, what, what will we do when our day comes and we stand before the Lord to give account of our lives to him while we were in Christ? Will we be able to say, I leveraged everything you've given me to the maximum? Or, Lord, I, I didn't really take it that seriously. One of the keys to self-leadership is to be a person under authority. Leo Tolstoy said this, everyone wants to change the world, but nobody wants to change themselves. Everybody wants to change the world but nobody wants to change themselves. I find it interesting when people are all about causes. Like they're, they're going over here to fight for this cause. They're going over here to fight for this cause. And, 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 and you observe the person and you're like, you are an absolute wreck. Why are you going to fight all of these causes? Maybe focus a little bit. Stay home one night and let you be the cause, right? Press through with the Lord. Let you be the cause. Let God show you some things. And so we have to be people under authority. Matthew chapter 8, starting with verse 5, says this. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him. And that would be a Roman leader of soldiers who has about 100 guys reporting under him. And he came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to even have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go and he goes, and that one to come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. 
I say to you that many will come from east and west and will take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said to the centurion, go let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. You see, that guy understood what it was to be surrendered to someone else under authority. He knew what it was to have authority, and he knew how people responded to his authority. And he's basically saying, Jesus, I understand that you're more powerful than I am. That's why I'm here. And I have the power to make people do things at different times. But you have superior and ultimate power. I'm under your authority. Do you know there's only two times that Jesus said that he was amazed. This is one of them. The other one was that people's lack of faith. And this one... It's because the guy was surrendered to his authority and had faith in Jesus. So you say, Pastor Dan, what does it really look like when I'm under authority? The word I would use is submission. To yield your life to the life or being of another. And one reason people say, stay so stuck in, particular, in a particular place is because they refuse to submit to someone else. I'm going to give you a key to your marriage. If your marriage is in friction today, when you go home, read and pray together Ephesians 5.21. Therefore, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. One of the biggest keys to leading ourselves to being under authority is to submit ourselves to the voice of another person, the direction of another person. If you are stuck today in some area of your life, I would encourage you to ask yourself if you are actually submitted to people in authority over you. Now, I'm not talking some kind of power trip thing here. I'm just talking about being submitted to God and to other people over you. This guy knew what it was to submit as well as he knew what it was to give orders. And so did Jesus. Can you remember leading up to his crucifixion? Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was praying on multiple occasions. I believe it was three times, he said, in different situations in the evening, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. If I don't have to die this way, yet not my will be done but yours. Jesus learned obedience through suffering. He learned submission to the Father. Who are you submitted to? Where are you having issues and problems in your life? Could it be that you're not walking in true submission? The guy in our text understood this concept and he submitted his life to Jesus. And so here are a few questions for you as it relates to being submitted. First of all, ask yourself, 
Am I submitted? And then compare your answer to what your mate would say about your life. Or maybe a confidant would say about your life. Secondly, to whom am I submitted? Have I really given people who understand things an opportunity to speak into my life? Do I even let them speak into my life when I'm in disagreement? I learned a principle a number of years ago that, and this is not going to shock you. First of all, I don't know everything, right? Uh, You already know that. I don't know everything. But secondly, when I go for advice, I go to knowledgeable people, spirit-filled, knowledgeable people, and I ask their advice. And I learned many years ago that sometimes their advice is not going to be what's in my mind. And then I would get conflicted, like, what do I do now? And finally, one day, I was about 40 years of age, and I said to myself when I I called our district superintendent for advice on something, and he gave me what I thought was horrible advice. And I said, but all I have now is my opinion against yours. And how am I going to solve this? And I said, God, let me stand on a biblical principle. I got to make a decision here and I got to communicate it to somebody in 40 minutes. And this is the verse the Lord brought to my mind. It is a fool who seeks advice from a wise man and rejects it. So this is what I said. I said, I'm going to do exactly what you've said. And, and, and he said to me, no, please don't do that, Dan. Don't do it, do it just because I said. And I said, I'm not doing it just because you told me to. I'm doing it because I have to make a decision and I have to stand on a biblical principle. And if I stand on that principle and it goes bad, I can at least say, God, I wasn't just trying to get my own way. I was trying to follow wisdom. I was trying to be submitted to someone. And I have a belief that the average person does not want to submit to someone else. It's difficult. The second part of being submissive and and is submission re- excuse me. Submission requires self-awareness. You have to know your strengths, your weaknesses, your tendencies, your gifts, your inabilities, your abilities, all of these things. Submission requires self-awareness. And the average person is living their lives or life trying to hide their weaknesses. Maybe I'm wrong. If we took a poll in here today, how many of you would say toward the top of your list of fun activities would be exposing your weaknesses and the things that you're not good at and the mistakes you've made? Am I, am I wrong? No, like we hate that. You meet somebody and you're like, everything's good and great. Last week we were talking with Mackenzie about, maybe I mentioned this, I can't remember. We were talking with Mackenzie Gimbin about my horrible proposal to my wife. And then in the same conversation, I started saying, but I've learned from that and this is what I did for our 25th or, or this is what I did here. And she said, oh, now you're trying to convince me you're really good at this stuff, you know? And we had a good laugh, but that's how we are. We want to hide 
where we're weak and make people think that we're, we only have strengths in our lives. And I think that's where a lot of people live their lives. God forbid that we actually admit that we're, we carry some brokenness. Like, God forbid that we actually allow people to talk about one of our weaknesses, that we actually allow our mate to come up to us and say, Dan, Kristen, Bill, uh, Cindy, Steve, whatever it is, I, I think you need, to, you need to look at this. I think this is a weakness in your life. What did you say? I don't, I'm not weak in that area. And you give all the reasons why you're not. And you know what? We get stuck. And sometimes we don't move for years. And God has a different plan for us. In fact, isn't it the gospel? Isn't that the, the heart of the gospel that we couldn't? So Jesus did. I mean, he came because of our brokenness, our limits. Moving on to Philippians chapter 2. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider himself, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even on a cross. Wow. Submission is a part of the ability to leverage everything God has given us. Jesus knew who he was. He knew what he was here for. He was here to surrender. And that's a characteristic that we really hesitate to follow through on. And so you have to surrender. Allow people to speak into your life about areas that need growth. But guess what? You also have to know what God has designed you to be. Because if you don't know that side of it, there will always be someone there who wants to tell you what you should be. When God has actually designed you to be something. I don't want to go too far into this and, and start meddling, but I'm going to say it and then we'll move on real quickly. Do you realize it's kind of a fib to tell your children that they can be anything they want to be? Can I just tell you my parents accidentally lied to me, right? Like I could never be a scientist. I could never be a mathematician. God did not design me to be those things. Our role as a parent is to help our kids find the way that God designed them and to help them get on that path so that when they move out on their own, they're going in the right direction. Not to tell them, hey, you can be whatever you want to be. I could not be the president of the United States. I am not a politician. So we have to know who God has designed us to be and be satisfied, not in a negative kind of way, but be satisfied with who God has made us to be. 
And out of that, God will take care of the things that he wants to make happen in your life. And Jesus is our savior because he surrendered and knew that he was here to be a servant. He understand who he was and also what he was not here for. So my question for you is this. Do you have a real picture of yourself? And what would that picture match or how would that picture match what other people have to say about you? Are you self-aware? Are you in submission? The third thing that submission requires is self-management. Your abilities to nurture and harness your passions, your abilities, your emotion, your leadership, your capacity for decision-making. All of those things to manage yourself. And I've gone through periods of time in my life where I've been able to say, God, I'm managing myself well. And then other periods of time where I've had to say, God, I'm, I'm not really managing myself very well. You've given me these things or uh, strengths or blessings or whatever, and I'm just not managing it very well. I'm not leveraging to the degree that you would want me to leverage the things you've given me. 1 Samuel chapter 30 says, When David and his men reached Ziklag, and you're going to find there's some interesting names in this passage of Scripture. They found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters had been taken captive. So the men of the village, or the men of Israel were gone. Somebody swept in and took their wives and their children. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. And David's two wives had been captured, Ahinom of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter, of course, because in his spirit, his, he had lost his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. And Abiathar brought it to him. And David requested of the Lord, this is interesting, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Now, the reason that's so fascinating to me is this, is because the Bible says that Saul, King Saul of, of Israel, killed thousands and David killed ten thousands, right? So we know that David was the greatest warrior that Israel had seen up until that time. And he's got all of this passion. He's got all of this anger because of what's happened to Israel. The enemy has stolen their wives and children, and David has been anointed to be king and protect Israel. And he had the power over time to go and sweep over that raiding power party and bring back their wives and daughters. But rather than go out in his own natural ability... He harnesses all that passion. He harnesses all that frustration, all of that anger. And he still says, God, what should I do here? What do you want me to do in this situation? And so self-management is putting self-awareness into action. He knew what he was. 
He knew what he could do in, the, in his own strength that God had actually anointed him to do. But self-management is putting self-awareness into action. I give you three thoughts about putting self-awareness into action. You have to have a picture, a plan, and priorities. First of all, you have to picture in your mind or have a picture of where God is taking you. Pastor Dylan, who was with us last Sunday, he has a great thought when it comes to picturing your future. He says, you have to picture the picture before you'll ever see the picture, before it'll ever come to pass. You have to have a picture in your mind, a clear vision. And you have to, excuse me, he says you have to see it before you see it, if you're ever going to see it. That's much better. You have to see it in your mind before you see it become a reality, if it's ever going to become a reality. The places that God wants to take you, he wants you to picture in your mind. He wants you to be able to see where he's taking you. Can you see where God wants to develop your life? Do you currently have an understanding of that? Then secondly, a plan. What are you doing to grow yourself to get there? Now, sometimes sermons are real aggressive, you know, and, and, and we all get excited. And, but that's a, that's a powerful thought. Not in an aggressive manner or anything like that, but what are you doing to grow yourself? I bet you could tell me 10 things and I could tell you 10 things that people around me need to grow in. What do you see that God wants you to grow in? What's the plan? How are you going to get from where you are to where God wants you to be? And then priorities. List your priorities and ask yourself, am I truly living those things? Am I living the priorities that I have? Do you know a lot of us live our, or we have beliefs that we don't prioritize? We can be, as believers, really good at this. Like, have a, a list of things we believe that we don't prioritize. Oh, yeah, I believe taking in God's word is, is really good for my development in my spiritual life. Good, we're halfway there. Are you prioritizing it? Or is it just a belief? So what are your priorities? And ask yourself if you're living them out. Because leadership is not wanting to be a person of authority but a person under authority who's living in submission, who's leveraging everything that God has given them to be what God has designed them to be. You can't teach people what you don't know, and you can't lead them where you haven't been. So practically speaking, let's put this in something maybe that we can directly relate it to most of us in our families. Maybe you have a brother or sister who's living in an unhealthy way and, and you want to help them. 
Well, if you're living in an unhealthy way, chances of you helping them are not very high. If you want to teach your kids something or your grandchildren something, but you're not living it, chances are not very good that they're going to pick it up. Because much of what we teach them is caught, not taught. And we can't take people and influence people to places that we've not been. So you first have to lead you before you will ever be able to be an effective leader of those that are around you. So ask yourself, am I really leading me? Am I really making an investment in my, develop, in my development because we all want to influence people but that happens the best when you are leading yourself and growing and vibrant and all of those things you're here today some of you and you have not yet made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life what we would consider the ultimate submission to recognize that we need a savior that Jesus did it because we couldn't that he came because I'm not perfect there's a lot that I need to learn to leverage and lead and grow myself but the baseline really is recognizing that you need a personal savior and in just a moment we're going to pray. In fact, I'm going to ask everyone to pray with me. And just lend your voice to this prayer. And you're here today, and, and this speaks to you. You have not yet surrendered your life to Christ. I would just encourage you to pray along with others the prayer that I'm going to pray and invite Jesus Christ into your life, and then we will move on with our service. But would you pray with me, everyone lending their voice to this prayer? Father God, I believe that you sent Jesus to be the Savior and the Lord of all people. And today I recognize that I need help with my sin problem. And I ask you to take my life, be in control. I surrender myself to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Put your hands together. I believe some people prayed that prayer for the first time today.